Well, uh, this morning we, uh, we take the next step in our journey into wisdom. The next step in our journey into the wisdom of Proverbs specifically and to the different topics that Proverbs treats over and over again. We've set up what wisdom is in the early sermons in this series. If you weren't here for those sermons, you can find them all on the website. But as of last week, we've turned into mining the details of Proverbs, collecting together all these short, pithy statements that are scattered throughout the book and trying to organize them into Proverbs' main favorite topics to try to see what we can figure out about, the, about what Proverbs tells us is wise. And this morning, we come to one of, another one of Proverbs' favorite topics. So last week, we talked about words. Uh, Proverbs goes to, to words. To that, they go to that, it goes to that well over and over and over again. This morning, we go to another really common subject in Proverbs. It's all through the book, scattered throughout. And that is the subject of friendship. Specifically, the kinds of friendship that change us, that take us where we are, but help us grow better. The kinds of friendships apart from which Proverbs says we can't be wise. Got to have friends if we want to be wise. Proverbs uh, celebrates friendship over and over again, and it's in really good company in the ancient world. Back then, back when Proverbs was written, friendship was a huge deal. Friendship was the sort of thing that the philosophers of the ancient world celebrated. So here's an example. This is from Aristotle. He said, he described friendship as most necessary for living. He says, nobody would choose to live without friends, even if he had all the other good things. could have everything you want out of life. Aristotle says, no one would choose to live without friends. But do we think about friendship that way now? I don't think we do. C.S. Lewis has a famous essay on friendship that I love. I don't know if you guys have seen or heard about his book called The Four Loves, where he describes the different kinds of loving relationships that people have. Not specifically Christians, just people in general. He talks about the love of the family. He talks about the, the romantic love between two lovers. He talks about friendship love. In the essay, in the essay on friendship, Lewis says, says something that really struck me. I think he's exactly right. Friendship isn't like family love or romantic love, erotic love. Those two loves are necessary for survival, right? They have a, they have a biological survival advantage built into them. You've got to have somebody to nurture you and raise you or you'll die as an infant, right? Without family love, you can't survive. You've got to have erotic love or the, or the species don't keep on existing, right? Procreation's got to happen. Those two loves are are necessary for survival. Friendship is not. Friendship isn't necessary to survival. What Lewis says, friendship is is not necessary to survival. Friendship is what gives value to survival. It has no survival value, but it gives value to survival. It's what makes life worth living. I heard someone observe recently that most cultures tend to idolize one sort of relationship or another one. And in in liberal cultures like ours in the West, I don't mean liberal politically, I mean liberated cultures emphasizing human freedom tend to emphasize sexual love. That's a subject we're going to get to next week, another one of Proverbs' favorite subjects. We're going to talk about it in depth next week. More conservative cultures tend to emphasize family love, the importance of a stable, traditional family environment. We're going to talk about that later on in the series. Proverbs has got tons of stuff on the family. But there aren't any cultures out there that idolize friendship. Friendship is something we sort of leave to the margins of life with whatever we've got left after building families and pursuing romantic 
attentions. Friendship gets the margins. But we're not the better for it. The proverb says, apart from friendship, you can't be wise. You can't be who you need to be, who you were made to be, unless you have friends. Proverbs brings together the subject of friendship and the subject of wisdom. Proverbs brings them together because Proverbs has said one thing over and over and over again, and that is that to grow in wisdom, you've got to know you aren't wise. You've got to know you need counsel from the outside speaking into your life. You need people around you you can trust to be honest with you, to see you for who you are, and to point you towards something you couldn't have seen on your own. And the best context for that kind of investment in people is friendship. That's what we're going to unpack today, what I'm calling life-shaping friendship. Now, I want to read one of the, actually a couple of the references from Proverbs together as our public reading. I'm going to ask you to stand while I do that. I'm going to read from Proverbs 17, verse 17, and then Proverbs 18, verse 24. This is going to set us up. We're going to read a lot more references in Proverbs as we move along today. Here's the word of the Lord from Proverbs, verse chapter 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, this is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Here, if you've got a worship guide, you can follow along. I want to take two simple steps this morning. I want to, I want to unpack what Proverbs says about friendship throughout the book making the simple claim that wisdom makes friendship beautiful. Proverbs points us to three different marks of wise or beautiful friendship. We want to understand those, unpack those together this morning. And then the second step I want to take is to show that Jesus makes friendship possible. And I'm going to warn you now, as we get into what Proverbs says about friendship, with the beauty of it, it's going to sound great. It's also probably going to sound impossible. And that's where Jesus comes in. I want to start with a picture of friendship that Proverbs gives us. Friendship is beautiful when it's marked by wisdom. Here are three marks of a God-honoring, wise friendship. The first mark that Proverbs points us to, and you can see the references in your worship guide where we're going to, where we're going to turn together, is faithfulness. Faithfulness. True friends are there for you, come what may. And Proverbs warns about friends that are not there for you, come what may. Proverbs gets that it's possible to have fair-weather friends, right? The sort of friends that are there as long as they're getting something from your relationship. That are, that are there as long as it serves their interests. Proverbs 19 warns against the kind of friend who is bought by the gifts of the wealthy. You ever noticed somebody comes into more money? Tends to attract a crowd. Proverbs warns you against those. What Proverbs points us towards... It's the kind of friends who are there in good times and in bad. The kind of friends that stick with you when you're inconvenient. That stick with you when you're not much fun to be around. That stick with you in seasons where they're not getting much from you. We've already read a couple of these. Proverbs 17, 7 says, A friend loves at all times, not just the good ones. Like a brother who's born for adversity, a friend is there. Proverbs 18, 24, we, we read that one too. A man of many companions may come to ruin the kind of companions that maybe money buys, the kind of companions that the guy who's always buying rounds of drinks gains for himself, right? You can have a lot of those kind of companions. 
and still come to ruin. But there is a friend. You can have one of these. There is a friend that sticks closer to a brother. Sticks closer than a brother. Now, both of these Proverbs compare friendship to brotherhood and talk about friendship as better. It's not down on brotherhood here, right? In the ancient world especially, those kind of family connections were the difference between life and death. If you didn't have a good family uh, as, as a safety net and something horrible happened in your life, you would be completely destitute and alone, potentially. You needed brothers. Brothers are there in adversity, Proverbs 17 says. No, it's not down on brotherhood. He uses brotherhood as a comparison just to elevate how beautiful friendship is, that there's actually a kind of friendship that's even better than what you can get from the relationships in, in family. There's something special about a friend who's tied to you not by blood or by financial dependence, but by choice. A friend who chooses you, but then still sticks with you closer than a brother. And these friends, where a brother might be far away, might live in another place, might not be accessible to you in the moment that you need them, these friends are always available. Proverbs 27 verse 10 says, Better is a neighbor or a friend who is near than a brother who is far away. The kind of faithful friends we're talking about here are not the kind you can have through social media. You need flesh and blood. You need real ears who can hear, real arms that can embrace. So what's the point? True friends are faithful. They're faithful because they're available to you, because they're always close at hand. And even more, they're faithful because you know they're not going to leave you, no matter what. There's nothing that holds friendship back in our experience more often than our tendency to always evaluate the friendship and how well it's going and whether or not it's still serving our needs. There's nothing that holds genuine intimacy back so much as always making someone else feel like they've got to prove they really care for you, like they're still in the friendship, like it's still valuable. If we, if we hold our friendships under those kind of judgments, if we, if we hold out a continued friendship as a kind of carrot on a stick, then we leave each other sort of flopping in the wind. But a true friend, a faithful friend, is one who, who lets you know there's nothing you can do that is going to scare me away. I am in this with you, come what may. You can be who you are, and you won't scare me off. That kind of commitment, knowing you have that kind of commitment, is the key to an environment where a genuine friendship can grow. That's what Proverbs says. True friends are faithful friends. You don't have to wonder how much longer they'll stick around. But there's more. Okay, Faithfulness is mark number one, a beautiful, life-shaping friendship. The second mark is understanding. True friends stick with you, and true friends get you. They understand you. They empathize with you. Proverbs uses humor to get this point across in several places. You might not have known, I mean, on first reading, you might not know that's what it's talking about. You have to unpack it a little bit. Here's, here's an example. Proverbs twenty five seventeen says, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. And what's it saying? It's just using a, it's kind of an over-the-top, exaggerating way of making a funny point that a true friend can read you. A true friend knows when enough is enough when you might need more space, when you might need a little bit of distance, some alone time. A true friend knows that. They understand you. They can read the signs. 
A true friend can tell. Here's another funny one. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. True friends know when the joke has gone too far. They can tell when that joke is going to hurt, not actually add some levity to the situation. They can tell the difference because they know each other. They get each other. Here's another one. A friend knows how to say the right thing at the right time. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. It doesn't matter what you say, the content of your, of your speech. If it's early in the morning, if it's at the wrong time, when they really would rather sleep, then what they're going to take from that is that cursing. You didn't get them. You didn't understand what they needed at that moment. And here's a serious one, making the same point. Chapter 25, verse 20. Whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. You get what that means? To sing a song to a heavy heart. One who comes to their friend who's hurting, who's weighed down, and sings a happy song like everything's great. That person's stripping them cold. Leaving them exposed. Leaving them alone. Because what the person who sings to one with a heavy heart says is, I don't either, either. I don't see your pain or I don't care about your pain. But either way, I don't share your pain. It's yours and yours alone. But a true friend can tell. A true friend knows when to be happy and when to take on the sadness of the friend. And the reason that, the reason that a true friend can tell is that a true friend can't be fully happy as long as their friend isn't. The true friend can't sing a a happy song to a heavy heart because when the true friend sees the heavy heart, that friend has got a heavy heart too. They can't sing the happy song because they won't be happy. Friends know each other well. They understand each other. They get one another. There's one more point. And this one takes us into the heart of friendship and wisdom. True friends are marked by faithfulness, by understanding, but also by honesty. By honesty. True friends are honest with each other. They shoot straight. They don't cover the truth. They care enough to encourage and correct each other, to help each other grow. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, 5 and 6. This one's worth turning to. Flip over if you've got a Bible and you're following along. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. What does that mean? Hidden love is probably a reference to a love that you keep quiet. So you see something, you see a need, you see something that should be different than what it is, you've got two choices. You can help the friends see it, you can bring it to the open, you can be honest with them, or you can hide it. And you might hide it in the name of love. I don't want to hurt them. But Proverbs is saying that that hidden love is really no love at all. A love that conceals is not truly loving. Better is open rebuke. Then verse 6 takes us even further. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
A loving thing is honesty, is even open rebuke if necessary. It's, the, it's an enemy whose kisses are profuse. So, so I mean, to make this real, you got somebody in your life who's always telling you exactly what you want to hear? Who's only ever encouraging to you? Proverbs is saying here that the one of profuse kisses, they may seem like a friend, but they're your enemy. Last week we talked about flattery, the danger of flattery. Proverbs describes flattery as spreading a net for someone's feet. It traps you. It brings you down. It lies to you and deceives you. So you've got a friend who's only ever telling you what you want to hear. There you don't have a friend. You have an enemy. But the wounds of a friend are faithful. A friend loves you too much to tell you only and always what you want to hear. A friend sees what you may not. And that friend tells you. That friend doesn't tell somebody else what they see about you. That friend comes to you and tells you because that friend wants to help you grow. That friend sees something you may not see, some weakness, some flaw or limitation. And that friend isn't detached. It doesn't make them draw back. It doesn't make them shield themselves off from you. No, it makes them come to you and go deeper because they want to help you grow. A friend knows that it'll hurt. And because it might hurt because it might hurt you, it might hurt him. But this friend's wounds are faithful. They're faithful because they come from a friend. A friend who what have we already seen about friendship? A friend who is faithful to you. He's not going anywhere. She's gonna stick with you no matter what. When that friend tells you something true about yourself, you know they're not gonna check out. They speak as one who loves. And even more, they speak as friends who understand you. See, if you didn't think that somebody was going to stick with you, if you didn't think they loved you enough to stick with you no matter what, and if you didn't think that they really understood you, then if they bring something to the, to, out into the open that they see is, is wrong, some issue they need to address, well, you're going you're to have a hard time receiving that well because you're going to think that you're misunderstood. Maybe you would have been misunderstood. Or you're going to think they criticize you as an enemy and not as a friend. But in the context of friendship where you know this person's not going to leave you and you know this person gets you, then when that, when that person, when that friend comes to you with something that could be different, something that needs to change, you receive it as, as love and not as, not as judgment. Skip to the end of chapter 27 and you'll see the effect friends are supposed to have on one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need to be different from each other, clashing together in a healthy way to sharpen each other. This is where wisdom and friendship come together. What have we said about the wise? If you've been been part of the series before today, you'll know one of the things we've said over and over about the wise in Proverbs is that the wise get they're not wise enough, right? One of the key marks of a fool is that the fool thinks he's okay. The fool is wise in his own eyes. The fool doesn't see a need for other perspectives. But the wise, they get they're not okay. They invite instruction and correction even. They long for it because they know they need it. They know that's the way they grow. That's the way they they, they don't stay exactly where they are. 
It's the fool that rejects correction and gets defensive, that takes it personally and tries to avoid it. We could get, I could give you so many examples here. Let me just read you a few from chapter 15. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, without someone else speaking in, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. We need advice from the outside. Proverbs 15, 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Proverbs 15, 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. You're hurting yourself to shut yourself off from what your friends might speak into your life. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 28, 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. You think you're seeing everything you need to. You're a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You get that? It's a contrast. Walking in wisdom is the opposite of trusting in your own mind. Proverbs 12:15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And maybe to sum it all up best, Proverbs 14:12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The weight of all these examples, and I could go on. These aren't all of them. I could go on. The weight of all these examples bearing down on us is supposed to tell us what? We've got to have people in our lives who can see us in a way we can't see ourselves and who are invited to speak into our lives. And we've got to be willing to provide that to other people. But where do we get that? How do we give that? Friendship is the key. It has to be through friendship. It's when you know someone's not going anywhere. It's when you know they really get you and you get them that there's safety and wisdom in good counsel. Somebody who's not going to stick with you and who doesn't get you won't be a trustworthy guide. That's why we have got to have life-shaping friendships that take us where we are but help us be different. I wonder, do you ever give this kind of loving counsel or correction to your friends? It's really hard for me, I'll be honest. One of the reasons it's hard for me is that I, don't, I hate the thought that I might hurt somebody. I hate it. It's debilitating. It makes me weak in the knees. And I justify not saying things all too often, not, because, not just because I don't want to bring pain into their life, but because I'm not willing to absorb the pain it's going to cause to me in my life, if I enter here with them. Because for, for me to bring pain to somebody I love is going is to hurt me too. And I don't like to feel that way. I don't like to feel like the one who, who hurt this person's feelings. I wonder, if you never find yourself giving loving, affirming, challenging advice or counsel to someone else, is it because you're afraid to hurt them? Or is it because you don't want to feel the pain yourself. Do you have anybody speaking truth to you? In your life, into it, correcting you? Balancing an affirmation of you that you know you can count on, that you know they're for you, with, with help to see the areas in which you need to change? Do you have that in your life? Is anyone speaking that way to you? 
if you don't have somebody like that, that sort of friend, could it be because they've got reason to fear that you wouldn't receive it well? Because true friends love and understand you, because they are connected to your pain and affected by it, your friends, they're not going to want to hurt you. They would never want to give you the faithful wounds that are the way we grow. So one of the best things you can do for your own growth and to enable your friend to be faithful to you, one of the best things you can do is make it easy on them, is to invite counsel into your life so they won't be afraid to love you well. We've got we to pray towards and be constantly building is a, a culture here of openness with each other where we, we're just used to speaking plainly and truthfully. We're not afraid of driving ourselves away by it. We know that it will be received in a context of grace and love where we have the freedom to be honest with each other, to give and to receive honest counsel. If we don't have that in our lives, we're not going to be wise. We're not going to be wise. But how in the world do we get there? There's a couple ways you might be responding to this picture of friendship that Proverbs draws. It's a beautiful picture. But it is often just that, a picture of something described for us on a page that isn't real for us in our lives. There's a couple ways you might be responding to it. You, you might be responding to this picture of friendship thinking, I don't have any friends. The people in my life have failed me. They haven't been available to me. They haven't stuck with me. They don't get me. They don't listen to me. That's the response of disappointment, maybe even pride. And all of us know what that feels like. But then there's a, then there's a response of guilt and shame. Maybe you hear this picture of friendship and you think, I don't have these sorts of friends in my life because I haven't been this sort of friend to anyone else. I'm not worthy of this sort of friendship. I haven't been available. I don't have the courage to speak honestly. I don't have the stamina to be available in the ups and the downs. I don't have the grace to be faithful and loving at all times. On which side of that spectrum you fall into? All of us ought to be asking, though, where do we get friends like this? Where do we get the power to be friends like this? And the answer is only in Jesus. Jesus is a friend that we need so we can be a friend to others. The only way we can enjoy friendship like the friendship described in Proverbs, is if first and foremost, we are going deeper with Jesus, satisfied in His friendship, in what He gives to us, so that we can give ourselves to each other. I want to I tease this out a bit. 
No one, think about the Proverbs image of, of faithful friendship. It's, it's faithfulness, it's understanding, and it's honesty. Think about Jesus in light of that description of friendship. There is no one so faithful as Jesus. Recently, I, uh, I was invited to speak to a student group at Vandy. It was the week before a Good Friday and Easter, and I spoke on Matthew 26 and 27. Every time I read that account of Jesus' last hours with his friends in the garden and everything that leads up to the cross, I'm so struck by the contrast between the the lack of faithfulness in Jesus' friends and his faithfulness to them as he goes to his death. These chapters would be maybe encouraging for you to read this afternoon in light of Proverbs' picture of friendship. Think about the friendship of Jesus that comes out here. Jesus is abandoned in these two chapters. He is abandoned by everybody that he knows. Everybody. First, he's betrayed by Judas, a man that he had brought into his inner circle of friends. He had lived, he had walked, he had eaten meals and slept with this guy close at hand for years. And it's this man that betrays him. He's then denied by Peter. Peter, who he had groomed to be his successor as a leader of his movement. This guy, as soon as the going gets tough, denies that he even knows Jesus. All of Jesus' disciples, the 12 men that he had cultivated over years of ministry together, on the night that he is facing death and his soul is grieved at what's ahead of him, they can't even stay awake with him while he prays for, to his father to, to make him ready for what's to come. His disciples can't even keep their eyes open. And when the soldiers arrive, Matthew tells us, they all fled. Jesus would even be abandoned by his own father that night. When he hung on the cross, what he dreaded, the pain, the anguish that he experienced was, was not the, the feeling of the whip on his back or the nails through his hands or even the suffocation that brought his death. It was the absolute abandonment of the God for whom he lived, his father through whom he, he enjoyed everything that he ever enjoyed, the source of all good and light and beauty and truth, cut off from him so that he cries out on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was abandoned by everybody. Why? Because Jesus had a choice. Jesus could save his life and lose his friends, or he could save his friends and lose his life. And he chose to save his friends. He chose to save you if you trust in him. The same night that he celebrated that he died, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He turned it into a meal that symbolized the covenant he was making with them. A covenant that would make sure they would never be alone. Promises that would attach his friends to him and his father in a bond that nothing could break. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, he told them. And John, the gospel writer, tells us that that night when Jesus talked to his friends about what's coming, he framed what he was telling them in the language of friendship. John chapter 15 tells us Jesus told his friends that night, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. 
No friend will ever be so faithful to you as Jesus has been and always will be. The New Testament also tells us no friend understands us. No friend, no, no, no human friend could ever understand us, could ever get us so fully as Jesus. That one's harder to get our minds around because we can't see him. We can't actually talk to him audibly. But, but Hebrews tells us, the letter to the Hebrews tells us that, that God has come to us, put on our flesh, not just to walk around in our shoes, but took on our flesh so he would know everything it is to be us. And he went through every temptation every deprivation, every disappointment, every sorrow. He even faced death. He knew what it is to be us. So when we pray to him, we have one who understands in a way no human friend ever will. He's faithful to us. He understands us. And Jesus is honest to us. Of all of our friends, no one is more committed than Jesus to helping us become what we ought to be, what we can be, what what would be freedom and joy for us to be. He is the one who loved us so much that he gave up his own life to keep us from staying where we are and left us with his spirit to keep the work going, to shape us into his image, into lives that are free and full, to lives that are joyful. Jesus' friendship toward us is the only thing. Friends, it is the only thing that can enable us to enjoy friendship with others despite all of our limitations because we've got them and they aren't going anywhere. We will always be limited and our friends will always be limited and we will never be able to give each other everything we need so we'll never be able to accept each other and enjoy each other unless we have something underneath it all that, that fills us up and makes our friendships with each other possible. We've got to go deeper with the friendship of Jesus before we can go deeper with each other. But if Jesus is our friend, then friendship becomes possible with each other. That same night that Jesus gave up his life, the same night that he described to his friends that no man has greater love than the one who gives up his life for his friends, the same night where he promised he was their friend, he told them, The way people will know you're with me is if you love one another. I have loved you, so you also love one another. His friendship to us shows up in our friendship with each other. That's where we can see it. That's where we can see its effects. When we're satisfied in him, we're free to be friends to each other. We couldn't be otherwise. I want to just give you a couple of quick hitting examples of what what he means, I think. What it can look like. How Proverbs-style friendships become possible for us when we're friends with Jesus first. Here's an example. When we're satisfied in the friendship of Jesus, we can accept and celebrate our friendships with each other for what they are, not despair over what they aren't. There will never be any friend you ever have who won't be serving you well as a friend in some ways and leaving you not served well in other ways. That's always going to be true in every friendship. And the fight of friendship is to celebrate what the friend is offering you, not to be preoccupied by what a friend isn't offering you. How do you get the power to celebrate friendships that are limited? Only if underneath it all, you have a friend who is so satisfying to your soul that, that your friendships with, with others are, 
are just building on what Jesus has already done. Do you find yourself often disappointed by your friends? If these are the only friends you have, I don't think you'll be able to live with their limitations. But if you find yourself disappointed often in your friends, I think there's hope. Hope that a solution to this painful experience that all of us have had, the solution first and foremost is not in our friends changing, but in us pressing further into Jesus. When we're satisfied in the friendship of Jesus, here's another example. We all of a sudden, there's a foundation here in place for us to receive and to give counsel to each other without fear and defensiveness. We don't need to be perfect. We don't have to be afraid of being seen by others for who we are. Jesus is perfect. He is good. And he's given his goodness to us as a gift. So anything our friends might see in us that needs to change, that's not a threat to us. It's an opportunity. Because what we want in our lives are lives that make Jesus look beautiful. And if our friends can see some area of our lives where Jesus is not being glorified, that's an opportunity for growth, not a threat to my significance as a person. If Jesus satisfies me with his goodness for me, then I'm freed up to invite people to look at my life and to tell it like it is. Because all I want to do is be more like him. If you can help me with that, thanks be to God. Here's one last example. If we're satisfied in the friendship of Jesus, then it makes friendships with other people possible in in a whole other way. It makes it possible for us to be friends with people who are not like us in any other respect than that they have Jesus in them, and we love Jesus. One of my favorite parts of the C.S. Lewis essay on friendship I mentioned earlier, there's a section of the essay where, where Lewis is talking about how friendship, really, true friendships, they're, they're based on something friends recognize in each other automatically. Like when you... When you're really into something and you discover somebody else who is really into it, that's where the friendship gets formed, right? There's the, there's the beginning of it. That, that actually, if you start out looking for friends, if you don't feel like you have friends, and you start out looking for friends, Lewis says, you, you probably are going to be disappointed. You won't find any. Because friendships are never an end in themselves. The very condition of having friends, he says, is that we should want something else besides friends. The very condition for friendship is seeing something that we're already passionate about in that friend. Friends don't spend that much time talking or stressing about their relationship. It's different from a a relationship between lovers, where you're often, Lewis says, in, in a relationship between lovers, you're often looking at one another. You're often defining the relationship. With friendship, you're looking out at something else that you both love to see. The friendship begins, Lewis says, when you both realize something like, what? You too? You're, you're into reading classic fiction too? You love gardening? Oh, you love shabby chic decorating? <laughs> Friendships thrive on common interest. When two friends look out at the same thing and then realize, oh, they're looking at it too. It's one of the things that can make us feel like the deck is stacked against us for having any friends. 
when we look around and we feel like what I'm passionate about, I just don't see anyone who's into that. No one gets me. In graduate school, I studied American religious history for a long, long time. And I still really enjoy it. Uh, I love to read about, say, the New England Puritans and what they were after and setting up their societies. I love to read what they wrote and get into what their minds were interested in. I barely know anybody else who likes that stuff. And honestly, I can admit the problem is me. It's not in folks who don't like that stuff. But if the only kind of friendships I could imagine were friendships where people were into the same sort of hobby horses that I have, how impoverished my life would be. But, but Jesus calls me not to deny that friendship is about recognizing some other passion in someone else that you also share. He doesn't say friendship is not about that. Friendship is about self-denial. That isn't what he says. What Jesus makes possible is a built-in connection that you can have with a whole host of people who are into a whole host of different things because they're into Jesus. When you see that person, you think, you too? You love Jesus? You want to grow to be more like him? Oh, you're, you're into trying to help other people see him too? You, you, want to, you want to help others understand his beauty? Let's do it together. Let's make our friendship about that. Friendship always, Lewis says, is about something. And to whatever extent, you're only going to have friends that are about the narrow interests that make you you. To whatever extent, Jesus doesn't factor into who you are. To that extent, you're going to have a real hard time finding friends that are going to satisfy. But if Jesus is more at the core of who you are than your interest in colonial American religious history or shabby chic decorating, to whatever extent Jesus is who you are, then in the church, you're going to find people who aren't the same age as you, who don't like the same books that you like, who aren't into sports like you are, and yet you're going to find a kinship there a life-transforming, fueling, encouraging, and uplifting, sharpening friendship there because Jesus is the point. Now, these are friendships that only Jesus can give to us. So we pray. We pray to him for what only he can give. Father, we want our culture to be marked by all sorts of friendships like this where we love each other well because Jesus is in us and we love Jesus and we want... We want Jesus for each other, for those who know him and those who don't know him yet, where we are opportunities for celebrating him and encouraging each other towards being like him, towards believing in him more deeply than we do. But we need your grace to give us that desire and then to give us the courage to be the kinds of friends that, that this sort of friendship takes. We need the kind of grace that you have shown to us before we'll ever be able to be faithful to each other. We need the kind of mentality that brought you to us to understand us if we're ever going to go to each other where we are and understand each other. And we need your grace in us to make us strong enough to receive healthy, constructive counsel from each other. Make us wise through the grace of Jesus, we pray. Through our friendships with each other, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.